This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Wednesday, 1st of March, 2023. We have an interesting turn of events here, especially overnight in the Asian session with the Chinese PMI that uh, ripped stronger, the highest reading since 2012. We got that up on slide four just for perspective and how strong a number this is. Of course, it is coming off these incredible uh, sort of COVID lockdown uh, time frame and then the, the virus disruptions themselves once a zero COVID policy or a zero COVID tolerance policy was ended. Um, and I think longer questions, uh, longer term questions will be lingering about what is the quality of this return to growth, if it's a little bit too focused on the old styles of stimulus they've done, mobilizing the property sector, et cetera. But it is what it is, and it's having an effect in markets. We're seeing metal prices higher. We're seeing uh, Chinese equity prices higher, as you point out, Peter, there on slide two. And uh, in the meantime, we have uh, inflation numbers in Europe unsettling everyone yesterday with the Spanish and French initial reads of February CPI. Uh, I'll get the I'll pull out the figures in a second there and, and Germany up today, Eurozone tomorrow. So we have a, a big inflationary combination uh, here. And uh, meanwhile, uh, U.S. yields were, were pretty quiet. The two year was lifted a little bit by that uh, very big lift in the European yields yesterday. The 10 year just hovering there nervously around the 4% level. And I think the fact that it sort of remains range bound means uh, at least this is what I'm looking at. I don't know how you read it. One of the reasons that equities may be hanging in there is because that longer yield hasn't sort of become unanchored uh, to the upside and breaking above 4%. But what is your read, uh, read here, Peter? Yeah, my, my read is um, that what happened now with the, the Chinese PMI sets up the, um, this, I, I talked about it on the podcast, the um, was the last week, I think that the way I look at the market is a, is a two-stage uh, sequence of, of two narratives. So the first phase and the first narrative will be this discussion about structural inflation. And I think the you know the reopening clues from China now with the PMI figures that came overnight uh, suggest that <clears throat> things could improve. And if we see a follow uh, follow through uh, through uh, commodities, uh, which you know the the Bloomberg's commodities spot index has really been you know weak uh, over the past six months. But if China could change that, uh, then I think the inflation pressures will will keep on. And as you mentioned, the the upside surprises here in Europe also saw the policy rate pricing uh, searching in Europe. I think to four percent for the ECB. So, you know, I think this is the narrative we're going to talk about. So the I think equities right now will be caught as I wrote in our uh, wrote in our quick take, which you can find on analysis.saxo, will be caught somewhere between. Okay, so inflation more inflation means a higher growth. Outlook. So, you know, in nominal terms, your revenues and cash flows will be higher. But so that's a positive. But the negative thing is that if the structural inflation really begins to move the long end of the yield curve higher, because that's higher cost of capital, so that reduces your the value of those higher growth rates. I think the equities right now will be caught. And also to the extent what will will it create then some type of recession? So I think that that's sort of the narrative we're going to have over the coming months is structural inflation. What does it mean for equities in terms of growth, the discount rate? Could it cause a recession or not? Or is it actually just an acceleration because of the growth impulse from China? That's the discussion. And then when we get to late April, early May, we'll have the you know a renewal of the discussion around you know you know wage pressures because a lot of unions here in Europe also you know wage negotiations a little bit more dynamic in in the U.S. But here in Europe, 
in the first uh, the first half of the year, all the wage negotiations uh, are, are taking place across industry and and uh, white collar workers, etc. And if if you if you see a big bump in those wages, and you continue to see that as well in the U.S., I mean, that's going to be the discussion about you know margin pressures and, and what would that in what that would that mean for the bottom line of companies. So so that is sort of the sequence I'm looking for over the coming months. Yeah, six point two percent recorded on the year on year on for France uh, versus six percent the prior month, a bigger than expected acceleration. And then in Spain, we had a similar uh, acceleration, six point one percent versus five point eight expected and the five point nine prior. And uh, Spain hopefully has a core initial read as well. And that was a 7.7%, a, a new high for the cycle versus the 7.5% recorded in January. So we're really concerning there. I'll have expectations for the German figures when we look at the calendar later. Uh, but I uh, wanted to point out as well, one other data point that was out yesterday that I found uh, compelling to look at, and that was the U.S. Consumer Confidence Survey. So the present situation uh, holding quite well and, and at a very strong level, but the expectations number dropping uh, six, seven points. And uh, you know that is the, the big focus. That tends to be the more forward-leaning one. And uh, many will use the expectations less the present situation to have a sense of where the economy may be headed. It's a classic, somewhat similar to the yield curve inversion. Uh, when it gets uh, highly negative, it often coincides or, or suggests that we're leading into a recession. And given our views on inflation, that would be the worst of all worlds for central banks if inflation is going to stay hot. And yet the real growth and I think that's part of what you alluded to with those types of pressures you mentioned is that, you know, even if we have a slowdown in growth, uh, the nominal growth continues, but the real growth is lousy. And uh, just remarkable that we're at almost uh, record levels on the expectations uh, being so low relative to the present situation. I put that spread in a chart on slide three. That's the black line there. And then just to show how it uh, often coincides with some of the leading indicators, uh, I, that's in blue, the, the six month moving average of the leading indicators month on month uh, is in blue. And that's also at quite low levels. There was a, a crazy dip there in the, the initial pandemic outbreak, but we all know what happened there with the stimulus uh, response. All right, let's get over to you, Ola, because uh, obviously with a China reopening narrative suddenly seeming to get back on rails overnight with this PMI release, uh, strongest in over 10 years, you would think uh, there, there's going to be a reaction to the commodity space. I alluded to it a little bit with metals. So what's your roundup of what's uh, the reaction function has been here in commodities? Well, uh, put it simply, uh, obviously higher prices. And um, it, it just happens at a time where the market was uh, probably getting to the end of its pricing in this uh, recent uh, increased hawkishness from the Fed and pricing in another three rate hikes. And uh, with that out of the way, fully priced in, I would say at this point in time, the market uh, started to revert, focusing on China and also the th the two sessions that uh, that's coming this coming weekend, where where we get some further ideas about what the Chinese government uh, intends to do over the coming uh, coming quarters in order to uh, to reignite and support growth. So the PMI just basically just uh, pushed a, a development or movement that had already started. If you look at the uh, the precious metal market. They were they have been they're trading higher for the second or for the third day, and I think the the weakness in those numbers you just mentioned in the U.S. Uh, just also adding some some support before the for before the, uh, the the PMI overnight. So uh, at this point in time, as you can see on the on slide seven here, we are this is just a, so far just a, a an attempt to recover from the correction that we had uh, throughout February. Uh, silver, silver led the uh, the recovery, but it's also the one that's taken the uh, biggest beating down twelve percent in February, 
and uh, you can see the retracement levels uh, further up 22 in in silver and uh, up towards the 1860 18 well, my my eyes are not strong enough to see my screen was too far away here but uh, up to the first uh, retracement level these are really the levels that need to be taken out before we can start talking about a a, a, f a further recovery in, in those metals but at least uh, so far we we started on that uh, trajectory we talked about uh, crude oil yesterday, and I think we need it. Just needs another another mentioning here. We uh, we are trading above some of these moving averages, uh, basically indicating some return momentum. But as you can still see, we are stuck in a range. We've been that for for several months here. The question is how much how much uh, further energy we can get into the market, and uh, whether we can challenge that downtrend that's been in place since the the April high last year. Um, we're getting close to that level. It's around 84 and a half. So, uh, so look out for that. But also some interesting news coming out of India. They are they are bogged down in uh, in paperwork with um, basically having to uh, to document that the oil that they're buying in record uh, quantities from Russia that that oil has been bought below the sixty dollar uh, price cap, and that's basically just leading to a lot of paperwork and a lot of delays. And that potentially could have a negative impact on Russia's ability to continue to uh, to sell its oil to uh, to India. At the same time, we also we also know that there is a, a record amount of Russian oil floating around uh, on the seas uh, on ships uh, looking for a home, and uh, that all could eventually or potentially lead to uh, uh, for, uh, Russia being forced to uh, to lower production even further. So that we need to keep an eye on that will add some support to the market at a time where we get these strong China data coming out. And just finally, um, diesel ex export, um, as reported by uh, by uh, by Chinese uh, Chinese oil company, is likely to uh, collapse by 80% next month. So um, diesel export from China has, has really been helping to alleviate some of the pressures, uh, especially in Europe, from the uh, sanctions against Russian uh, diesel and gasoline and so on. And um, and if they're starting to lower their export, then, then we potentially could see some tightness as well there. So I think not all roads, but many roads right now points to a market which uh, which potentially could could move higher here in the short term. And uh, we didn't even talk about copper. Look out for that one as well. It's um, it's it's also on a, on a recovery note. In our quick take today, we just add some some levels as well that uh, that you need to take an eye on. And um, yeah, I'll leave it there. We got the inventory report later today. Um, another big jump in crude oil stocks is expected. Yeah, I think the whiplash uh, chart-wise, the whiplash in copper uh, even more profound than than those silver charts and the gold chart, where it's uh, basically had a big meltdown and now we now we see a big bounce there. There was an odd sort of back and forth a few times, so it's, it's an interesting chart. The copper one, have a look at that as a proxy. I think uh, also because of the pure industrial angle uh, on copper uh, for this uh, market proxy for the China recovery narrative. Uh, and then and then FXG10, uh, Aussie is going to be your target for that proxy. And we see that it did bounce uh, overnight. And that was despite, uh, we, we've seen this um, uh, sort of more hawkish uh, RBA, but then we saw the China reopening narrative stumbling. Now we have suddenly the strong PMI of China, uh, but but then a weak CPI data point out of Australia for January at 7.4% versus 8.1% expected and 8.4% previously. Uh, we need to get the core data and the quarterly data. So this is just a headline number. Uh, but interesting to see that the China reopening narrative won out and we see a, a softer dollar and a firmer Aussie uh, overnight there and around some interesting levels, 100 day moving average, et cetera. I think it would certainly need a much bigger rally impulse to look like it's really digging itself out of trouble, that particular chart. And as well, we would still need to see some more dollar selling before that dollar move has reversed. How would the market absorb, though, for example, much higher U.S. Treasury yields uh, here 
and risk sentiment. So to me, that 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 sort of nexus of longer yields plus risk sentiment uh, tells me what the dollar is going to do. And uh, certainly the the market's animal spirits seem to want to keep their cards close to their chest here uh, on um, uh, on what their what the thinking is and what's going to happen next. So uh, likewise for the dollar there. Uh, we see the Japanese yen trying to reverse. Uh, it didn't quite make it to 137 and the 200-day moving average dollar yen uh, above there. So that's reversing a bit, but uh, yen not, not doing well until we get some signals out of the Bank of Japan, incoming leadership, or uh, Kuroda, because, uh, uh, again, higher yields is usually yen negative unless we're expecting a Bank, bank of Japan normalization hint or two out there. Okay, Peter, back to equities. We have this Tesla Investor Day. I don't know how much more you want to talk about that after yesterday's uh, spiel on that. It's going to be very interesting to see what he says and how the market greets it. It's the most speculated upon stock in, in the uh, trading universe. So always interesting there and regardless. Uh, and then a couple other names you have there on the stocks to watch today on slide nine. Yeah, we we touched a little bit upon the um, the Tesla Investor Day. Um, I've updated the text a little bit. So it's out at 21 100 GMT, so that's 10 o'clock tonight, uh, European Central Time. And if you go to livestream.tesla.com, if I, if my recollection is correct, and that's the uh, that's the live streaming website uh, on, on on Tesla's website. If you if you want to to see the whole event in uh, in real time, as we talked about, the clues from Elon Musk is that this is the third part of the master plan. It's about fully sustainable energy future for uh, for for the for earth he he, uh, he writes in his uh, tweet and we we're speculating here but it we it it does suggest that the tesla investor day will evolve around energy so energy may, maybe energy production energy storage and energy transportation so the electric grid we talked about it yesterday you can listen into to, uh, yesterday's podcast if you want a little bit uh, a little bit more color in it i think we'll i'll keep it very brief today just saying that you know tesla has uh, everything going for it, uh, you know, increasing its production, sourcing the battery it needs. There's a lot of demand. Uh, EV adoption is set to take uh, to take off at, a, at an incredible and blistering pace uh, for in the coming years. But can the grid uh, maintain, or can can the grid actually support all that growth? Uh, it requires a lot of capital investment in, in grid infrastructure, but also expansion of electricity production. So. Maybe and Tesla cannot afford to to have that constraint is out of their control. So maybe they have a solution. Uh, we'll we'll see tonight. Two earnings: uh, Coupang, which is this uh, e-commerce company out of uh, South Korea, and they reported after the market closed. The shares were down two percent, despite you know there was a little bit of a miss on the on the Q4 revenue side, a small improvement on the earnings per share, and then they put out a long-term guidance where they used adjusted EBITDA margin guidance of ten percent or higher. I really hate this word adjusted. I mean, adjusted <laughs> for what? I mean, it's adjusted for reality, have, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hate this. Um, it, it's really a, it's bugging me down. I mean, this this trend of adjusting for everything. There is the operating margin and nothing less and nothing more. It's just what it is. Um, but they're doing all they they of course are doing all these shenanigans, and it's. I think the you you see this adjusted uh, EBDA uh, shenanigans uh, most heavily among the newest companies i think they are under the most pressure um to deliver the profitability and that's why they go uh, they go a long mile to 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 do these things to to show that they are profitable on an adjusted basis and then we have just eat takeaway which is this giant uh, food ordering platform and delivery platform also because they have added that to the business they are announcing today uh, almost a 5 billion euro impairment on previous acquisitions. Good job by the previous management. 
Uh, and then they also looking to sell uh, part of their business called Grubhub. Um, I think Grubhub is part of that impairment, by the way. And they're still looking to do either a partial or a full uh, divestment of Grubhub. They see an adjusted, again, <laughs> adjusted EBDA of 225 million uh, euros. And by the way, when they say adjusted, the, the typical line item that they that they take out uh, on that adjustment is the is the stock compensation, so the options to their employees. But everyone with any knowledge about corporate finance and valuing of the company will tell you the stock option, the stock compensation, stock-based compensation, it is a real cost. It should be part of it. So I don't know what the stock compensation is for just the takeaway, but uh, if you have 225 million of adjusted EBDA, then maybe you're running very close to zero on, on operating on operating income. Um, so and also if you look at the share price here on slide uh, on slide nine, it, uh, it doesn't really look very uh, impressive to say the least. If we go to the earnings for today, we have three on the uh, on the menu: Salesforce and Snowflake, two technology companies. The one being extremely big, Salesforce, um, <clears throat> the one of the largest software application makers in the world, and Mini Microsoft. They they really want to they they do fight and compete with with Microsoft in a lot of different areas, and then. Um, as we have said on this podcast a couple of times, uh, several activist investors have joined the board and is pressuring Salesforce to significantly increase their profitability. And you can see the analysts are expecting 2.7-ish billion in uh, in operating income for the quarter then in January, and that's up from around a billion uh, a year ago. So, uh, sorry, 1.1 billion. No, sorry, 1 billion. Um, so that's a pretty significant increase. And they have, the company here, have also recently laid off uh, almost 10% of its uh, of its workforce. Salesforce will report after the close. Snowflake very high growth, 50% uh, top line growth expected. They they have a lot to show uh, investors uh, on to, in terms of profitability. What they choose in terms of the balance between reinvesting in growth versus delivering that profitability, uh, I'm a little bit excited to see that um, because. It seems like the sentiment has changed a little bit in the market away from oh we need profitability uh, beyond everything um, above sorry above everything and to a, a sentiment now where you can actually prioritize a little bit of revenue growth uh, and it's okay uh, if, but as long as we can see that there is a slight improvement in profitability sales uh, sorry snowflake report after the close and then you have neo reporting before the market opens very high growth rate expected for Neo. They had in Q4 finally there a significant ramp up in production and deliveries of their electric vehicles after several quarters with very slow growth. They're expecting to show 23, sorry, 73% revenue growth the end year and a very strong outlook as this electric vehicle adoption just takes off. All right, let's look at the macro calendar for today. We have this German CPI. Uh, figure as mentioned and coming at a nervous time when uh, we're just a few days uh, we open the week uh, just below 2.9 percent on the german two-year we're at 3.2 percent this morning 30 basis point rise uh, as you indicated the ecb is being marked higher uh, it's hit it's around uh it's actually not quite four percent it's around 3.87 percent or maybe it is for the cycle peak somewhere out into 2024 but basically for this year it, it ramps up towards 375 uh, by the summer, the expectations, which would be about 133 basis points and more hikes. Certainly, March is going to come in with a 50 basis point. And then it's a question of whether another 50 basis points is flagged for the May meeting or priced for about 40 at present. Uh, so that one and then the Eurozone tomorrow are really going to be critical for that short-term interest rate view on Europe. And I've, I've been quite amazed at the uh, 
resilience of European equities. Uh, we've talked some about that as well. Uh, other appearances, uh, boy, Andrew Bailey is going to have a lot of explaining to do. That incredibly aggressive uh, uh, forecast on CPI where they're expecting sub 2% uh, in a reasonable time frame is really going to, there, there will be plenty of egg on their face if that outcome, and we, of course we suspect that outcome won't be uh, forthcoming, uh, ends up uh, crystallizing in the quarters ahead. So uh, watch for what he has to say if there's, he remains confident on the, the bank's view on inflation. ISM manufacturing expected a fourth month of contraction uh, after, yeah, a well, fourth month of contraction, sub 50 levels there. I think more focus will be on the ISM services on Friday, as we've mentioned. And uh, an inflation report from the Mexican Central Bank. And uh, yeah, we get uh, our latest crude and fuel stock report from the U.S., the weekly figures today out of the U.S. as well. So uh, interesting session how we continue to just sort of tread water there right above the key supports in the U.S. Uh, we need to either see some rally impulsiveness to get uh, more bullish or uh, we risk a capitulation. And that capitulation may be a function of whether the longer end of the yield curve gets a bit more unanchored here, and we rip above 4%, for example, of the U.S. 10-year. So keep interest rates on your radar as well. And uh, yes, we'll see where things stand tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.